the following podcast has been paid for by Perched on the Top Rope. Welcome everyone to Perched on the Top Rope. I am your host, the DSP Lee Walker, and today we have something very special from you. Uh, This is an event I attended in Syracuse, New York, for a Rhythm in Blues, the Honky Tonk Man, and Greg Valentine live comedy show with a Q&A after. Fans, enjoy the show. I've got two little steals. Can you play guitar? No. Can I play the guitar and never learn how to play? I tried to. He'll be in the gym and he's a good guitar player. Tried to show me how to play a few things. The only thing I ever learned was that one that I did. Bom, 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 bom. And Hulk Hogan, who was a bass player, when I would go up there and I would just go ding He said, here, let me show you this. Try this. And he showed me. Bom, 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 bom. That became the thing that I would do and remember I would stand and me and Jim would say yes and here we are right here we got the mouthside Jimmy Harden and, and coming here for the big match on Saturday night over there I'd be bom 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 and Gene would take the microphone and drop it like that and take it and grab it thank you guys for coming by thank you so much be careful on the way home anyway never learned how to play it I tried I wanted to I wished I could have but I never could let's tell them we won we'll keep it that's awesome yeah. Uh, take mine out of there, lay him on his back, and put me on top. <laughs> <laughs> you got one. I need one. Yes, all. and the other question yeah. was. So the other one is, it's pretty Make undisputed. Make up for that figure step intercontinental champion of all time. Greatest intercontinental champion. No, you All time. You had what happened with Greg? <laughs> what? I had it 290 days. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I had to do hour-long broadways. He didn't do that. But he was the greatest. Well, in his mind. <laughs> now, here's what I do. I, I swear to God, before I ever came to New York, I had the United States belt, and I used to say I'm the greatest U.S. captain of all time. So I don't know if he heard those interviews, but he's good. I'll let him go. I'm not going to argue with him. He's a, he's a good guy. Great guy. Pooey. Pooey. Okay, anybody else? Yes, sir. Was Jimmy a good manager, and what was the greatest thing you ever taught? Jimmy was fabulous. Uh, he was he was very, very good. Jimmy and I worked together in Memphis. And uh, Jerry Lawler brought him in because Lawler wanted to do music, and Lawler wanted to be... Uh, Lawler was dressing... Dress, he, Lawler was the first guy really to wear a damn jumpsuit. He, he was dressed like Tom Jones in a black jumpsuit. Not unusual to be loved by anyone. Anyway, Lawler put on a, wanted to do a concert, he had an album job. Uh, Jimmy put together an album for him. Jimmy was the first guy ever to do these music videos. He did a hell of a great one on uh, uh, Handsome Jimmy Valley. Valley. Yeah, he's giving yes, a very good one he did on Valley. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyway, uh, Jimmy, uh, yeah, it's a... Uh, Yours just quit working, man. That's all. I mean, fuck you. You had your nuts pulled. Your shit quit. Mine's gone. I lost all that weight. Got on a diet. My shit's working now, baby. He's got a lot of energy now, too. But uh, 
the first time anyone got hit with a guitar, the Samoans, the Wild Samoans, and Jimmy Valley were going against a lot of good they, they they jumped the stage when Lawler was doing his, one of his concerts, hit him with a guitar. So that was really the first hitting of a guitar. But that's how Jimmy came about and wanted because Jimmy was performing uh, a local. His band would play in the clubs around Memphis, and and he loved wrestling and and he kind of cultivated Lawler. They cultivated each other, let's say, and uh, and got together. But uh, Jimmy was managing in Memphis, and he I was in one of his deals where the first family wrestling, Kevin Sullivan, a couple more guys, uh, and, and Jimmy managed us. And we clicked. Jimmy understood the Southern style of wrestling. He understood all that stuff. And so when we got to New York, I didn't have a manager. And uh, don't fuck with that thing now. It costs about 80 bucks. You're going to have to pay for it. I ain't paying for it. Hello, hello. Riding a car with us for about eight hours. Oh, fuck, you ain't heard nothing yet. But, but anyway, anyway our, our, our shit clicked, and, and we got to do up, up. When I came into New York, he's doing the megaphone and the music and everything here with a jumpsuit. So I was on a plane one day, and uh, Hogan was sitting across from me, and Jimmy was right behind us, and I said, you know, I just really think... My, st I could, I could do some really good business with, with to have this guy with me, and Hogan said, "I'll mention it," and he mentioned it to Vince. And the next week, we were on TV together, and it clicked. Jimmy's very good at managing because he did not take away from his talent, and he did not do the interviews. Now, Johnny Valiant would do a lot of talking for for Greg and, and Beefcake, and Bobby Heenan. Rick Rude wanted to kill Bobby Heenan every fucking day. <laughs> Bobby would be out there while Rick is in the ring working his ass off trying to, you know, get people to watch him and his match. Bobby's out here doing some silly shit making people go weasel, weasel, weasel. Well, now that's taken away from what the guy in the ring's working his ass off for. So they, that was the problem. And if a guy can talk a little bit like Greg could talk, Beefcake wasn't really a talker, but Greg could do an interview. But he'll tell you, with Johnny Valiant there, Johnny takes over the interview. It's kind of like, now you become sick. The man yeah, he make a comedy. Yes. The man that does the talking is the man that people are going to watch and, and listen to. And so the other guys are like standing there doing nothing. You know, for like a gimmick. I say, Nikolai and Iron Sheep, them being the Russians, they didn't really have to talk other than just, you know, uh, say something bad about USA, but Freddie Blassie did all the talking, which was fine because they're foreigner guys, and it didn't really affect them. But when you got a guy that can talk, and you got a guy that can work, and Rick Rue could do those things, if they had put Bobby Heenan with me, I think I probably would have killed Bobby because I said, get your ass right there by that fucking ring post, stay there and don't move. There's nothing worse than being in the ring as a wrestler and you need your manager for something. You look around and he's over here fucking around with somebody in the third row. You know what I'm saying? But Jimmy always knew and Jimmy worked off of me and Jimmy never did anything that had not we had not agreed upon that was going to be going on. And I knew where he was every minute. I didn't have to look to find him. I knew where he was going to be. So that was important. As far as the things on the road, he took me... 
And he would push me and prod me to get up at four in the morning and at four in the morning in Los Angeles and get on the phone and call a radio station in Syracuse or call a radio station in New York or get up at five o'clock in LA and get in the cab and, and, and haul ass to a TV station or radio station. And we got our message out to a whole bigger audience than just wrestling fans. And that helped me. That helped me get my persona and my character over to more people. And I always knew about publicity and stuff because of growing up around Memphis and, and how Lawler and those guys did it. And I knew it was very important. You don't get popular by sitting at home. Uh, you don't make money by, you know, in them fucking recliners. Uh, I love my recliner at home. I love Sean Hannity, and I love Laura Ingram and all them cunts over there. But they make me a fucking dime in that recliner. So I tell him every day, get your ass up, let's go. It's time to go to work. But Jimmy would push me and prod me. And the one thing Jimmy always said, and he will say it today if he was here, if you dress like the audience, you will someday be sitting in that audience. You dress up. You get out there when you go on TV, you look like that character that these people want to see. Hell, I'd get dressed up and go to a goddamn radio station. I didn't know they couldn't see me. What the fuck is that about? <laughs> so, but anyway, he would say that. He would tell you that right now. And, uh, yeah, what was that you wanted to say about the Greg and the re sleeping recliner? What was it? And sleeping? Yeah. Oh, he looks like he's always asleep. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Right <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. These guys are I'll tell you what, Piper knows I'm not asleep. <laughs> what, what, what did you want to say? That's all right. Uh, I just come on, now. Sleep. Uh, uh, come on, you can't remember? Oh, you were sitting at an autograph signing. He looked like you didn't want to be there. Who? You. When, when, when was this? About ten months ago. <laughs> <laughs> Probably because I had that fucking Andrew Anderson behind me. Oh, hey. Comic Con. So, you guys were together at a table sitting there. Hockey's talking to somebody, and you're just sitting over there listening like you didn't want to even be there. There's some fucking pills in Soma's and Xanax and shit. Uh, uh, give him a Red Bull, Hockey. Uh, he's on coffee and Red Bull. <laughs> he's on coffee and Red Bull. <laughs> I don't know, but I mean, fuck, he was only up four hours a day, he gets in the hotel, he goes half lunch, he sleeps again. Mm -hmm. Fuck! <laughs> Jesus Christ. But yeah, Jimmy was good for that. Somebody else was uh, something, you want, something you really want to know. Not how many fucking guitars I've broken. I can tell you this, if I had to buy them son of a bitches, I'd know exactly how many I broke. <laughs> <laughs> Who was the best manager back in the day? Who do you rank as the Gosh, there were so many. I mean, Jimmy Hart, well, Jimmy was good in what he did. Bobby Hinn was really good, but but like I said, Bobby would take away from his guys. Uh, Johnny Valiant was good, but Johnny had been remembered as a wrestler. Uh, but Johnny was a great talker. I, I thought Johnny Captain was good. Wall, Captain Lou was really yeah, good. Really. Captain Lou was. Even I, though yeah. he would talk and do crazy shit, he would always leave plenty of time for me. Yeah, I thought he did a a, a really good job, and uh. uh J.J. Dillon was good with what he did. Different kind of a manager when he managed Tully and uh, Arn and managed those four horsemen. Just a different style. He did he did pretty good. Uh, other managers, uh, goddamn, I saw this young kid in Puerto Rico, Hugo Sabinovich. He was a Spanish announcer in WWE, Hugo Sabinovich. The fuck, man, this kid. 
he had some heat on him, man. Those Puerto Ricans want to kill that little fucker. But he had a cane. Now, his, his cane was made out of wrought iron. Yeah. And he would go out as he would come out to the ring. He would ram that thing on the ring post by God so that those Puerto Rican people knew that if he started swinging, this is a piece of steel metal. Now, it ain't no goddamn foot wood that's going to break. You're going to get hit with a piece of wrought iron. There were some bad fans, too. They tried yeah. to stick your knife. So... They, I mean, there's been always, there always been some great managers. But like I said, the good ones are the ones you can control. It's very important that you can control your manager, and he's not out there doing some stupid shit. And hell, I look for. I had a one up there to help me with. He was with Killer Kowalski for several years, and he still. I mean, he just never got it. I'm over there and I'm working in the ring, and I needed him to do something, pull a pull a leg or some shit like that, and he. He went and actually sat down in the front row and was talking to somebody. He's like, what are you giving up here, you fucking idiot? And then one time I had a girl valet that was out there. She was out there with us, and and and, and they were supposed to do something to me. I was a good guy, and, and I'm going to lean over the rope. She's going to choke me. This motherfucking bitch had both her feet off the ground. She was actually <laughs> fucking hanging me. He's like, ah, motherfucker. She had her feet up in the air and everything. He's like, Damn. But I, I don't know. That business is it's not the same anymore. That's why I don't like getting in the ring. I, I don't want I want to leave the ring walking, standing up. I don't want to be rolled out in a wheelchair or on a goddamn gurney. And I'm going to tell you that. I mean, you think I'm going to let some people around right here climb up on the top row and jump off on me? Fuck that. My ass is moving. Yeah, big man back east and yeah, okay, okay, that macho man shirt on you. Yeah, right. let me drop that leg on that motherfucker. Well, what if he slips, you know, and falls and he's coming down the wrong way? Uh, damn it, I mean, that's just dangerous. We were talking about Undertaker and them, them guys are like this far, if you really watch it back, both of them, both of them, on, on separate occasions, this guy picks this guy up and drops him, and his head missed this much of breaking his fucking neck. And the other guy's head just happened, Goldberg's head just happened to slip forward. It, he would have broke his neck. If his head would have went backwards instead of slipping forward where his chin hit his chest, it would have broke his fucking neck. Yes, sir. I, oh, it's gone. No, you're on. You're on. You got any good dream team stories? No, it's not dreams. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we call them. Okay, cream teams up. <laughs> Do I have any good ones? No. Not really. Not really. I mean, I got, I got a couple, and they're bad for beefcake, so I don't want. I don't want to repeat it. <laughs> it was great. You know what? It was a great team, though. Yeah. We, you know what made it a great team? I think it was. And this is me just looking at it. Totally two different styles. And I think unless you're a twin, unless you guys are twins and you you, you know and you work a lot alike, there needs to be a, a, a little bit of a difference between the, the, the tag team. You know, like one's bigger, one's, you know, shorter, faster, one does more than the other. Greg and I, the, the rhythm and blues, an example of what would have been good I'm the razzmatazz guy, I'm the boogie-woogie guy, I'm the rock and roll, he's the bull, he's the wrestler, I'm the chicken shit coward, and Beefcake was the, you know, he was, he looked all pretty, and he, Beefcake looked gay. And he, and, didn't, and, he yeah. couldn't wrestle. And, and so he was the wrestler, but 
that, that's the, but he looked the, good. That's the contrast I think that you need. It's a, the contrast between the two. Yeah. And, and even when myself and Larry, uh, uh, Spot Moondog, the Blonde Bombers, he was short and stocky. And I would get in, and I got the hair flying around, and I'm all doing all the goofy bumps and everything, and I'm begging off. But then when I would tag him, he came in the ring, and he went straight at him. You see? He didn't cower away, and he didn't take the goofy bump. He went in, and right away, he put him down and started kicking the shit out of him. So that's the contrast that makes, I think, a good tag team. Yeah. With being Peepkick, it was I was more experienced. He was green. He got in. He got that new gimmick, and he worked around with Hulk Hogan. But when they put him with me, um, there was a contrast. and. And but he followed really, and, and and what else makes a good team other than me and Honky together? We really probably didn't have a captain, but I was a captain, and Beefcake would follow, and he'd follow instructions, and uh, so it's all good. That's why we got over. The yeah, the team has to be on the same page. You can't be out there if if he if 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 I'm me and him are tag team, and if he stops a guy and sets it up where he stops him and starts working on the guy's leg, and he's famous for the figure four, well, it's silly for me to come in and start picking the guy up and throwing him into the ropes and running him around. Well, if his fucking leg's half-assed broke, he, he shouldn't be up running around. So the tag team has to understand each other. And, and so if he, if, or if I cut the guy off, if they turnbuckle me and I moved and the guy runs and jumps and he hits his knee and he falls down, nice legs hurt, well, I'm going to tag my partner who's known to work on the legs, and he's going to go in there then and start telling telling the people through the match that he's setting up to get this figure four on the guy, that the leg is going to be, this is how we're going to finish this good guy off, you see. And so that's that's what would happen. And I would come in, I'd stomp the leg a few times, I'd go for a fucking elbow, the guy would move, Everybody thought all the tags were going to be made. I'd hook the guy's leg, hold his leg, reach back, tag Greg. He'd come in and drop an elbow and go right back to that leg now and just keep building that drama so that you guys are on the edge of your seat waiting and waiting for that tag. Because you know if he makes that tag to that partner, the shit's going to hit the fucking fan. And, man, those old bad guys are going to get the hell kicked out of them. Blood's going to flow like wine. <laughs> No blood now, right? No blood like now. Yeah. I used to do an interview that way. Ball and squall, time to wall, old time jubilee. Woo! Blood's gonna flow like wine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, be like a, a coal miners glove match or something. That's how you'd say it, you know, you set it up that way. And uh, I took a lot of my stuff off of other guys, but a lot of times I took my stuff off those Sunday morning preachers, you know, on television. <laughs> those televangelists, them motherfuckers can talk, man. Well, Dusty Rose did that. Dusty, yeah. I mean, those damn televangelists, them fuckers can talk, man. They, they get shit. They make you fire and brimstone, you know, goddamn. Ted, if Ted could talk like that, man, he could. I mean, shit, he could say you're thinking to heaven. That's the only way to get there. Who did you guys? By God. Anybody else? Yeah. Uh, wow, now that I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, was there ever a point with the Rhythm and Blues we're going to get uh, a title run or a shot at them? And, and what caused the team to disband? 
Greg, you can tell them we, uh, we were just talking about that. Yeah, yeah we, were, we were in line yeah. to get the belts, and uh, we, we worked with the Hart Foundation yeah. and WrestleMania 5, and then then we went and did WrestleMania 6 with guitar and all that, and the concert. But we were in line. We were getting over big time. Had a lot of heat. We were in line to get the belts, and all of a sudden, Vince signed the Road Warriors, right? Yeah, he got the Road Warriors, and uh, that kind of was that was they it. They put him in the broadcast booth with them and Piper and Vince and Piper, and he says, "Well, I'm gonna lay you off. You're not fired. I'm gonna send you to Japan once a month." So that's what he did. Well, that, all that, that yeah, effort, yeah. yeah, and that money I spent on that friggin' jacket over here. <laughs> but uh, the, where's the, the jacket was, at now? Huh? Where's the jacket at now? Some whore down there is in the crack place, crack house got it. I mean, he had, no. He <laughs> sold that for a fucking piece of pussy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I can't say anything because I've got my, one of my jumpsuits on eBay now. It's like my whole thing, is my chapter with wrestling is coming to an end now, and I understand it. And and I'm ready to move on to something else and get rid of that. He likes memorabilia. Some of you guys do. I never kept stuff and threw all that shit away. It was before eBay, before internet, and they never let us go do signings. Hogan got a few signings when we were there, but typically it was baseball, football, basketball, hockey players. We didn't know anything about these signings and how this stuff did. And then, then it, it, the, the market started to open up. God bless Virgil. What he did, I mean, Virgil, would, Virgil went out and started doing Comic Cons and we didn't know anything about them. Virgil did Comic Cons for 10 years and none of us were on them doing them. We, I mean, we didn't know and then all of a sudden we started going out and doing them. We found out this memorabilia and wrestling memorabilia was getting very popular. But by then I'd thrown away all those other, those old jumpsuits. They went in the trash when I moved to uh, Phoenix. I had every one of those big rubber action figures that first came out. My son played with them. They were sitting over in a crate. I had a garage sale in Memphis. The guy said, how much for those dolls over there? I said, I don't know. It had to be 40 of them. I said, I had 20 bucks. He gave me 20 bucks for them. Some lady came along with one of my ring jackets and that I'd had when I first started in the business. She said, I work for the Memphis Theater Group. We're always looking for costumes. I said, here, you can have it. Gave it to her. The other ones I had already thrown in the trash. My son had all of the all of the uh, pay-per-views on uh, VHS tape. He had all of those and the packages and everything, but he had doubles on them. I said, you don't need them. I threw all the ones. Threw all the, I said, these aren't open. You got the open ones. We don't need this one's not open. I threw them all fucking away. What the, the, the original IC belt was green, right? Yeah. And I beat the shit out of it when I lost it in Baltimore in the cage match beat the fuck out of it, and then I left the ring, and Tito came in and grabbed it like it was a little baby. Started crying, this belt's all beat up. But it was set up to give him a new belt. So, I should have went in there and grabbed that belt and took it home, because it'd be worth a mint right now. Just a couple years ago, I asked Tito, I said, whatever happened to that belt that I beat the shit out of on the cage? He goes, oh, my wife, she threw it in the garbage. <laughs> And it was still together on those has been uh, that would have been great on this memorabilia market, right? Yeah. Oh my god. Oh yeah. Uh I says, What? Tito should have had more sense than that, you know, 
We just, I mean, we didn't know. We didn't know. Well, I mean, nobody, nobody kept stuff. Jimmy Hart was the only guy that kept shit. He's got a whole warehouse full of stuff. He's got a warehouse. And then he, well, he talked Hogan in to start to keep stuff. Now Hogan's got a warehouse full of shit. Jimmy Cornette is a big, is a big collector. Jimmy Cornette took uh, photos of, he was, a, was 12 years old and was a ghostwriter for a magazine and took photos backstage uh, in Louisville, Kentucky. And then uh, he found, he started a little business. He was selling these little three by five photos uh, of the wrestlers to us. He'd sell them to us for like 50 cents. And then we would sell them for a dollar or two dollars. And Lawler and Bill Dundee, Ricky Martin still has them same size fucking photos. Like, goddamn Ricky. He says, yeah, well fuck, I can get 10 bucks for these now. They only cost a nickel. Yeah, the little bitty three by five. Jimmy Cornette started that whole business years ago of selling and the picture selling. Yes, he did. I got one of the free words. I got one of Dusty. Uh, was it a Cornette picture? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's how he started. And he was a ghostwriter for the magazine. Jimmy Cornette is like, uh, he knows everything about everything. He's smart. Yeah. He is extremely. The only problem with Jimmy Cornette is. And I love him. He is so, he's so fucking high tempered he get mad in two seconds, you know. And, and he's like cussing him. Y'all saw the video of him out there at that goddamn uh, Burger King or something or Wendy's. Hell, he was gonna climb out of the car, and beat the shit out of that kid, and fucking through the window. That's just him. I mean, you know. I mean, he's just really high strung. Another question. Something you really wanted to ask, and you just this is your time. If you don't ask it now, because we've got, got about. Tag team you like to work with? Uh, uh, the captain. You know. Or, or ones you guys really didn't like working with? Uh, Bushwhackers. Let's see what the crazy. No, you know I didn't mind the Bushwhackers, and, and I'll tell you why. Because <coughs> might not have been that believable. Probably, probably when the Bushwhackers were like the, the sheep herders, they were a hell of a tag team and worked yeah. hard and not well, a lot of gimmicks. I mean, they were serious workers. Uh, they uh, and, and the Bushwhackers with us it worked because of rhythm and blues. Back to the rhythm and blues real quick. Though. There's been a lot of good tag teams. Ricky Martin and Robert Gibson, good tag team. I've worked. I've had hundreds and hundreds of matches with them. Uh, uh, Robert Gibson and his 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 what it used to what he thought that everybody thought was his brother Ricky Gibson. They were a hell of a tag team. These guys were great. Uh, as far as the heel tag team, it was one of the best in the business, and I'm not particularly fond of Arn Anderson. I don't know. Arn just, for some reason, his ass is always up in his fucking shoulders. But Arn and Tully were a great, great, great bad guy. Good. They were, I tell good young guys when I would do seminars, watch Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson if you want to learn how to do tag matches. And if you are good guys and you want to learn to do tag matches, watch Ricky Martin and Robert Gibson. Or either watch Bobby Bobby Eaton and uh, Stan Lane were a good team together. They were great. and Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry were a good team together. But uh, uh, what what was I? I was going back to something about uh, what was it? I was going to rhythm and blues. Uh, we we could have worked with anyone, but we had to have the right kind of a tag team. You know uh, the. The British Bulldogs were into a lot of suplexes and fast stuff and everything. I'm sure Greg was like, God damn, man, we got to slow these guys down somehow. <laughs> and, and they were really good, they were a good tag team. And, I, I, and I, worked, I worked with both of them, I worked with them as a tag team. I had a really, really good partner one time. 
uh, it, the boy's name was Ron Starr, Rotten Ron Starr. He had was a junior heavyweight champion. Uh, what was the guy, the cowboy uh, that had the belt that came out of Charlotte? Uh, he went. He he did the cowboy thing with the cowboy hat and he had the black hair. And, no, no, no. He was a junior heavyweight Ron champion. Bass? No, he's a junior heavyweight champion. Ron Bass was like four hundred pounds. <laughs> oh, uh, not Les Thornton, but uh, the guy that had the uh, uh, Calvary store. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I, I, I would think Nelson Royal. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, he he lost. Ron Starr took the belt from him. Ron, Ron Starr was great, fabulous, fabulous. Worked with anybody. I loved it because we would work with Dynamite and Davy in Calgary, uh, and 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 Ron would start the match and he'd go in and stay. He was a fucking animal. I mean. Rick Flair was no 60-minute man. Ron Starr was. He could, he'd go in 30 minutes and all this. He'd, he'd do everything the fucking book. He'd walk up, tag me. I'd look at him. What do you want me to do now? Said, Fuck, you did everything. What do you want me to do? But he was a great partner for me because our styles kind of worked together. But he was, he was like Greg, but he was a faster version and a lot more high spots and wrestling spots. Like he, he did like wrestling spots. A lot of arm drag takeovers and things like that and get up and work the spot out of it. And uh, he, he was one of my great partners. I had a good one, Ray Stevens. Yeah, when you got a good part when you have a good partner, you can work with anyone. Yeah, you really can. I have trained Ricky Martin. I, I reminded him of it not so long ago. I said, Do you remember me working out with you in Nashville in the back of Star Printing? That's where we used to get our, our pictures printed. And it was run by a guy who was a manager for uh, for Kenny Rogers and uh, and uh, Willie Nelson, some country music people, and he was married to Moolah, uh, the guy, uh, Buddy Buddy Lee. Buddy Lee was married to Moolah, and, and he fronted Nashville for us, and he had his printing company, printing black and white pictures, and that's where we got them. But he had a ring set up behind his building, and I have trained Ricky Martin, Ricky Martin, somebody, just anybody to work out with him, and I did. And I have trained Barry Wonder, and uh, I have trained uh, uh, Brad Armstrong and I have trained Beefcake because we would work out with Beefcake in Panama City every every Wednesday we had Panama City, Florida and when Beefcake and Hogan came there we would take Beefcake and Hogan in Panama City we'd get there early because the ring was set up and go work out with them yeah so well, I, I was in the ring and helped a lot of young guys and, and Ricky Martin, Brad Armstrong and Barry Windham were the three guys that I promise you were the three best young guys starting out from day one that I've ever, ever even been in the ring with. Coco was good, but these kids were fabulous. I mean, they were, they, they just could get it. They got it right away, right away. They were that good. What's, what's the craziest thing you guys witnessed backstage? <laughs> <laughs> You know, it was bizarre, a lot of shit. I always missed the good fights. He might have been there, but Billy Jack fought uh, Iron Mike Sharp. That was terrible. Uh, that was a terrible, terrible fight I missed. I've heard about it. I would like to have seen it, but I missed all the good shit. Adrian Adonis got the fucking shit kicked out of him <laughs> by Danny Spivey. Danny Spivey beat the fuck out of him. I missed that. And I'll be damned the day 
I was up in the interview room and I just finished my interviews and Walt was walking down the hall and I heard a commotion in the lunchroom in Fort Wayne, Indiana and John Rizzo had knocked out of my kids' fucking teeth out and I missed all the good shit. <laughs> I remember one time, we almost got to get going. I remember one time we were in Nashville a commotion was there in a little locker room. Something happened, I don't know. Kevin Sullivan had reached and grabbed this motherfucker by the hair of the head, snatched him in the locker room, and everybody kicked the shit out of this guy. Bam! We didn't know why we was kicking the shit out of him and tossed him back outside. And then we went on about our business, went to the ring, got a match. I mean, yeah, no, he wasn't ready, just some fucking guy. I mean, Kevin Sullivan standing there watching the match, and this thing I know. Did Brett really punch up McMahon? Yes. I asked Brett. I saw Brett about a year later. I said, what the fuck happened to where anyway? Which, mind you, I had left that night. I was dressing right beside Davey Boy, and Jim was beside him. Brett was beside me. Rick Rude was over here. Uh, uh, Undertaker, uh, not Undertaker, but uh, Paul Bearer was over there, and, and uh, somebody else, with uh, Ron Simmons was over here. Locker room full of guys. And I said, well, fuck, they're going to the ring. I said, fellas, I'll see you tomorrow. So I drove down to Ottawa, and then the next morning, I didn't know anything happened. The next morning, here comes old black guy, Jim Rawl. He comes in there looking like this. And I'm thinking, I'm just making a joke about, like, God damn, what you boys do last night anyway? Like, a after the match, just go out and drink, you know, get a blowjob or something. <laughs> anyway. Why anyway. are you laughing? Like you, like you never did one. <laughs> no, he never gave one. <laughs> Ross looks up at me like, and just, he looked, he gave me that look like, the fuck, you fucking asshole, he kept walking. About five minutes later, Vince comes in, they shuttle him in, I see his face all swollen. I didn't know anything. So Rick Rude was, was right there when I said it, and he said, God damn, man, you don't know what happened? I said, what? He said, oh, fuck, Brett beat the shit out of Vince last night. I said, hell, I left, I didn't get to see anything. He said, Oh, yeah, it was bad, man. It was fucking hard. It was bad. Fuck, he knocked him out and killed all kind of shit. I said, oh, fuck, I feel hair. They're like, terrible now. Ross is thinking I'm a fucking prick shit disturber. I didn't even know. Then I go down in the lunchroom. Here comes Anvil, and Anvil tells me the whole story. It's like, what the fuck was going What was that about? And he tells me the whole story, and he says, I don't know what to do. Shane McMahon said he wants to talk to me, and 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 everything and and all this stuff and what what happened? Shane want to talk to 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 uh, Anvil and offer him a contract to stay. And uh, so yeah, and uh, I said, what the fuck? And Davy went ahead and left. Actually, Davy was trying to help, and he slipped and blew his fucking knee out. So it was a mess. But yeah, I asked Brett what happened, and he told me. My name's Wayne. He always calls me by my name. He said, Wayne, we were in San Jose about a year later. He said, Wayne, he said, I, I've never hit a guy so hard in my life as I hit that man. And he said, I've never had such a lucky punch. He said, I hit him right on the corner of the fucking jaw. He said, I thought I broke my fucking hand. <laughs> and he said, he went right down. He said, I've never hit somebody that hard or been able to hit him right on that spot on that jaw to knock him out. I said, so you fucked him up? He says, 
yeah, you know, I just wish it hadn't happened, but uh, he said, you know, they had me set up to try to fuck me. I said, well, I heard about it, and that's it. I didn't talk to him about it, and never talked to him about it again, but he did. You know? And Brett, Brett had no reason to lie to me, because I've known the Hart family for a long time and, and, and everything. And, and uh, I mentioned about, the, uh, did you say about the girls, how they talked? Well, I called up there to the... Well, they, they all talk like stupid. They all sound like stupid. I called up there for Orange Funeral to send flowers. I said, they answered the phone, hello. I said, uh, this is Honky Talk, man. I want to find out where to send their flowers to funeral. And the, the girl on the line, she, it was Nellie. Uh, uh, <coughs> Ellie. Ellie. Ellie, Jim's wife. And Jim had left her and was down in the States. When I said, this honky talk, man, I went over to somebody. Hey, if you see that fucking husband of mine, uh, he's had that son of a bitch. Uh, get his ass, he's never coming back. He's, uh, he's around a bunch of fucking whores. And, uh, Ellie, uh, just like to find out where his name He's a fucking asshole. And he's really fucking, if you see him, and I just want to know where to send a flower. But anyway, when I first went up there, now, y'all, have you guys heard her when she's on the Diva show? Jim, uh, Natty, Natty's mother, and, and Jim oh. were on there. Did she sound like that? Yes, yeah, she did. And uh, and uh, so Brett, uh, Brett's got a sister, and you know, Brett, I just said, yes, there is, and there is, and Stu, and so this boy David Schultz, he says, Yeah, uh Stu's got a young daughter, young daughter, nice, pretty, blonde, you know, and everything. He says he said, Man, you guys legs, you get up there, you know, and she, you, you, I mean you might make a home. Shit, I see her and I'm thinking, man, I shit, I might move in here, you know. <laughs> Somebody gonna feel it. <laughs> I go over to her. <laughs> I go over there. And I say, Hi, I'm honky tonk man. And she said, Hey, my father said, It was Diana Hart. She was dating Davy Boy and they ended up getting married. And I saw her at the Hall of Fame WrestleMania. She's in the hotel. I was told we're talking to. Hey, Diana, how you doing? Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> he said, God damn, these motherfuckers, there's 12 of them, they all sound the same. Anybody got another question? Is there anyone on the current roster you're real fond of? Randy Orton, greatest guy in the world, get best talent there. Every time yeah. I every time I say something, I told him that we were at the WrestleMania and I was going through the lunch line. He was right in front of me. He reached to get something. He looked back. He said, "God damn, you're right." But I fuck. He said, "I could just feel you in the building." I said, <laughs> "Randy, oh, every time I say something good about you, you get heat on you. So just I'm not saying nothing, okay?" But I do. If somebody would do, I'd do an interview and I'd say, if Randy Orton's the greatest talent there, I really do. And overall, talented, Randy can do it all. He can wrestle. He can talk. He's believable. His stuff is believable. And he is good. But every time I say all this stuff, Randy is like goddamn Marty Jannetty for the full moon. Randy will fuck something up. I mean, he will tear a hotel room up, or he'll wreck a car, or he'll beat somebody up on the street. It's like, fuck, he's always getting in trouble. So I said, man, I'm not saying nothing to you because every time I say something good, you get in trouble. <laughs> but he, right now, I think he's the best talent there uh, overall. 
I don't, I don't really watch and look at their product, but I've watched him progress along the way. John Cena's almost finished, and you know he was never pleasant and nice to me or anyway. So I, I, people that don't come over and say hello and you know and, and try to socialize a little bit, I just kind of, you know, if they're that way in their personal life toward me, their professional life's going to show the same way too. So that's how I feel about it. So yeah, over, over the years, who was the biggest dick backstage? Well, you'd have to, there's plenty of those motherfuckers. I mean, <laughs> there was a lot of them. Uh, there was, I mean, it's hard to say because when you call somebody bad, then the next, the next day you see somebody and they're worse. But uh, <laughs> the guys that were the most, the biggest assholes in the business ended up doing the best. Really, now Hogan's not a big asshole, but Joe Hogan's a great guy. But some of the guys that were like Ultimate Warrior, uh, I, he was always nice to me. I couldn't say bad things. But I heard about him, how bad he was, and such an asshole he was. Now, Randy Macho Man was a, Randy was an asshole to everybody. Randy was a fucking asshole. But he did, it seems as if the guys that were the biggest fucking dickheads, cocksuckers, they were the ones that made, they, they made it for some reason. I don't know why. I mean, but you can't be nice to everyone. When you start being nice to everybody, somebody's gonna stab you in the back and try to pretend they're gonna fuck you. So I guess you have to be a prick. You know? I didn't start being a prick till it was too late. Then I started doing podcasts and shit and fuck nobody wanna to talk to me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm a good guy, you know, it's like fuck. We're driving along today and I said to them, these other guys wanna come out on the tour and be with us and and everything, and uh, Greg said, no, I don't want nobody else on the fucking tour. I said, oh, now you're the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Thank you guys so Thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you.